What's up, Bike Nerd fans? This is the beginning of a three-part series on helmet design, materials, safety, and construction. I interviewed three different brands about different aspects, and by the end, you'll have a much deeper understanding of how and why helmets are the way they are. There are definitely some unexpected tidbits in these interviews. For part one, I called up Brad Waldron, founder of Cali Protectives, because I know he has some very strong opinions on design, materials, and the testing that all helmets are required to pass, and especially rotational impact systems. While I couldn't quite nudge him into some of the same very animated conversations we've had over beers and off the record, I think you'll still find this one very, very interesting. Please welcome Brad Waldron. Hey, Brad. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. I am glad you could make time because I know you're notoriously hard to track down. And maybe that's just by choice out of or as opposed to busyness. But either way, I always do love catching up with you. And what I wanted to talk to you today was uh, about was the materials. And I'll tell you why I chose you for this particular topic when it comes to mountain bike and road bike helmets is because I really like the dual density kind of cone head structure solution material mix that you guys use in your helmets. So maybe you could just start kind of just explaining to people in your words, like what is cone head and what is the idea and benefit of dual density foams? Sure. I mean, materials you put in actually kind of serve different purposes. So depending on the density you use, some are going to take the harder hits, some are going to take the softer hits. If you listen to me for very long, you know that I think all helmets are too hard and that we need to be putting softer things next to people's heads. So back in the early days of Cali, when we started on motorcycle helmets first, we had come up with the in-molding process where bicycle helmets had been in-molded for years, but nobody had been able to get the processing down on the motorcycle side. So we started in motorcycle helmets. And while I was at the factory working on the in-molding process, in walks this wacky Australian physicist, and he starts talking about his geometric shapes inside the UPS foam. And he had been studying bicycle accidents in children in Australia. And his words are pretty much exactly this. Why are we still putting these old-fashioned beer coolers on these kids' heads? <laughs> so <laughs> literally, that's what he said. And, you know, he kind of, you know, we sat at a whiteboard, one of my favorite places in the world. If you've ever been to our offices, the walls are covered with whiteboards, you know, just throwing ideas out. So he comes and he, he starts drawing out, you know, his idea of these cone shapes. And the idea being that when you impact the top of these cones, that they actually start to crush. And as they crush, they send energy laterally away from your head. And as they crush, they get harder. So in this crazy way, he asked if, if I try it. And I said, if it works, I'll try it. And so went through the path of just testing it out. And he'd already had some tests. And we immediately saw some results that matched many of his results. So the idea of being able to lower the density of the foam, and that's something that you'll hear me talk a lot about is getting lower densities. We've actually been doing a lot of tests in external labs to try and see, you know, what performs better. And consistently, if we can get that foam softer, uh, we perform it better in all aspects, not just linear impact, but also the rotational impact that has become such uh, so popular to talk about recently which is certainly a problem and certainly important to tackle. And I know you have some opinions on the methods of doing that, but I was going to actually try and finish off the interview with that. So let's save rotational <laughs> for the end. Um, you, I think people are going to enjoy that. <laughs> so low density. Okay. So I want to add a little bit to that with the cone head. I imagine almost like the egg crate foam that people use for sound 
walls in their studios or, or just throw on their bed, right? Like imagine one side of that being a low density foam and then a, a matching kind of like nesting side of it being a higher density foam. And that's sort of what you guys use. So you have two layers of two different density foams in there that are basically molded so that those shapes maintain themselves in the structure of the helmet. Are you putting the lower density on the outside, the inside? And like, if low density is so good, like why not just make the whole helmet out of a really low density foam? Yeah, great question. The answer is we've tried it both ways. And, you know, depending on the geometry of the helmet, it does include that. Most of the time, I like to put that softer foam next to your head. So not only does the crush start happening from the external hip, but as your head goes up into the helmet, if it's a hard enough hit, it starts crushing on that inside as well. And that takes you off or down a different path of why we use a low density layer on top of the low density EPS. But you want that so that it does start crushing. We have tried different shapes. So we've used, you know, not just a pure cone shape. We've used three-sided cones. We've put cones inside cones. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of experimentation that's gone, you know, onto this, not just from Don Morgan's side, but our side as well. We're not the only people that use it. That's Don's invention. Uh, you'll see it in Fly's new motocross helmet. We believe in it, so we should continue to use it. We're probably, not probably, for sure, we're the most active in it. We put it in a lot of our helmets right now. Does it add a lot of cost? Because I know, you know, it is having to blend two different materials, which adds a production step. It adds some cost because essentially what you do is you form one section of it outside of the helmet. So you, you actually have an extra mold. So that mold costs money. Then you inject that one. And then when you go to inject the rest of the EPS, you inject around that. So it, it costs. There's other things that we do that cost even more than that. So we're constantly just testing. We want to continue to find material combinations that work just like this. But this isn't like, Kona is like one of our oldest, but we still use it a lot. Right now, I've got a new helmet coming in about six months that uses a nano core which is an acrylic-based material with nanocarbon tubes in it. And we use that as the center cone section instead of the EPS. And then we inject EPS around that. So, you know, you're just building upon, you know, you find something good and you want to build upon it uh, until you find something that completely blows that out of the water. And then you go use that. I drive marketing people crazy because I tell them, <laughs> yeah, the story you're telling today may not be the story you're going to tell tomorrow. Right. Yeah. I, it's honestly, this is why I love talking to you is because you're the mad scientist at heart. Like I've been to your facility. I've, we've been to your factory together over in mainland China. And it's just like watching the ideas come out of you is pretty amazing. But what I really like is that you're, you're just like fearlessly relentless and just trying something new, right? Like this. I mean, who would have thought of whatever you said, ceramic, acrylic, carbon nanotubes in a helmet seems ridiculous and also expensive. And this, I think one of the things that surprises me so much about Cali is that your helmets are some of the most affordable helmets out there. Are you guys like, I don't even know how you say in business because it seems like you're just constantly spending money on crazy <laughs> R&D and you sell some of the most affordable helmets out there. Okay, wow. Where do I go with that? <laughs> There's, I guess that wasn't really um, a question, I, but yeah, it's just whatever <laughs> you do. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I feel extremely lucky. Dude, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I'm doing a ton of testing. I'm doing a ton of research. I came from an R&D background in aerospace years ago, you know, and I just try to keep that mentality and the people around me have that mentality. It's hard. You know, we don't have a big marketing budget. We don't spend a lot of time, as you know, on advertising. No, I know. Um, <laughs> our, our, <laughs> our athlete, our, our athlete budget is pretty low, you know, and we're small and we're nimble. And the people behind this, not just me, kind of all have the same focus and energy. 
we've actually put a lot of effort into our mid price point helmets because giving people a good value feels good. You know, I'm super proud of what we've done in that, you know, Maya price point, that $100 price point, 70 to $120 price point is something that we've really focused on. Do we want to make high-end helmets? Yeah, sure. I mentioned that, that helmet that I said we put the carbon nanotubes in. You know, that's going to go up market. But, it's you know, we don't have the same reputation as some of the guys who, you know, put those high price tags on their helmets that have big marketing budgets and, you know, 500 people in the company. So we keep it pretty simple. Um, there's total with everything we do. You know, we're about 20 people. Nice. So I want to circle back because I think I probably asked you too many questions at once to throw a lot out there. But why not make an entire helmet out of just the low density foam if if that's the softest? So testing, it's based on how our standards were written. These standards were written in the early 70s and they've changed very little. They basically dropped cadavers on their heads and measured for skull fracture. Hmm. And at the time, that was the best information that we had. So the standards got written around wearing a helmet would cause your skull to fracture. And they determined that that number was 300 Gs. Um, Good Lord. <laughs> 300 Gs. Is, yeah. It's a, well, yeah, think about it. You're sitting at one G right now, right? That's what keeps us from floating away. And go even further, see, as we go down these rabbit holes, certain studies, and this one came out of the Imperial College of London, 80% of all bicycle accidents are below 106 Gs. Yet, all I have to do today is send my helmet into an outside lab and have them tested. As long as it doesn't go over 300 Gs, I can sell it. So I'll also throw out there that most helmets that are on the market do that and do that well and will protect you from those high-end hits. So the difference becomes in, in the nuances of, okay, are you also protecting for low G impacts, below 100 Gs, below 50 Gs? So you ask me, why don't we just do that? Well, there's tests in our standard that force you to crank up the density. In fact, if you take a look at the difference between the U.S. standard and the Europe standard, the Europe standard doesn't use what we call a hemispherical anvil. That hemispherical anvil, it's like point loading. So to catch that, you have to crank up the density. So that's why we have to put in low density layers closer. So you got one, one higher to catch the big hits and then one lower, you know, one or two lower to catch the smaller hits that especially our trip guys are doing, the guys who are crashing a lot, the repeated hits. You know, if you crash once, it's going to suck, but kind of like the football players taking multiple hits, we've got to start taking care of the small G hits. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I just saw this like with the football helmets because they say, you know, if you wreck in your bike helmet, replace it, right? Like one, one, one and done. And I know you've worked on some repetitive hit, like multiple hit helmet technologies. We can talk about that in a second. But yeah, football players, like they're getting hit constantly and they don't change helmets. Like what's other than having a super big, thick, hard shell on top of there? Like, why is it so different? Well, and on top of that, they use a big rubbery foam, right? Mm. So these things are super heavy. If you try to use those things in a bike helmet, <laughs> you know, it's a different feel. You notice there's not a lot of ends. One of the issues with that carbon nano material that I use is it fractures too easy. It's a material out of Italy. They, they came to me, oh, we've got this great material. You can use it in all your helmets and they'll all be multiple impact. So I went ahead and put it in a motorcycle helmet first. And I actually hit that helmet 16 times in the exact same location and no change. It worked perfectly. And I was like, wow, we found something amazing. And the next thing I did is I put it next to a vent. So next to an, an air hole. And immediately on the first impact, it fractured. So it, it does really well in compression but it has very poor shear strength. So yeah, I mean, 
whether it's football helmet or or we have different types of standards for skateboard, for example. And skateboard guys, they do hit their head. They just don't think they hit it hard. <laughs> and that's true. They do have a lot of small hits, but they also occasionally have big ones. So I've been trying to work on the skate helmet for years that I just haven't got nailed yet. That totally takes all the low G hits out and the high G hits. It's a real challenge because I literally have been working on summit for probably three and a half years because I want it to take the same impact as that protect that has no EPS in it, just comfort foam. I want it to protect all those low G's like that helmet does, but then also protect on all the high ones like a bicycle helmet. And as a friend of mine that invented MIPS said to me once, those are two different helmets. And I'm like, dude, you invented MIPS. We can do this. You're smarter than that. Uh, but Clearly, I'm not yet because I haven't nailed it. So, still working on it. Cool. Well, it gives you something to do, right? <laughs> yeah, something in my spare time. Yeah. Um, so, what is like to put a hundred and something? You said that most bicycle accidents are like low hundred Gs. Like, what is is that getting hit by a car and smashing your head on the windshield, or is that like just full speed grabbing the front brake and flying into a wall? Like, what is a hundred and whatever you said eight Gs? I think. I don't know that I could tell you that. Exactly, because whenever you hit a car, there's so many other factors that came in here. Did you put your arm up? Did you do this? I can tell you that 74 Gs is about where you get knocked out. Hmm. That information came actually from boxing studies where they didn't put the accelerometers in a person's head. So this is all still lab driven. But the guys at the Imperial College of London that I mentioned earlier were doing boxing studies and putting accelerometers in these dummies and coming up with this number that they claim is 74 Gs is the number where you get knocked out. In fact, they, they also can lead into that later MIPS rotational study said that Olympic boxer can't knock out another boxer with one punch because their gloves are too heavy, fluffy, and that they wear headgear. So you can't get to that 74 Gs with one punch with all that softness going on. So how do they knock somebody out? Two punches, they hit like in the jaw and then kind of up in the temple area with opposite hands and you get the brain spinning mm. and there you go. There you got your rotational forces going. So if you can kind of imagine watching a, a boxing match and seeing a guy knocked out, you know how hard he got hit. Yeah, <laughs> It's not that hard. I mean, it, you can hit easily hit that amount of Gs, way, way more than 100 Gs by not clipping out of your pedal, not being able to put your hands down and going straight on your head. You know what I'm saying? Not moving at all. Like literally just like stopping feet. on your bike at a standstill and then falling over? Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't seem like much at all when you, I mean, I've done that <laughs> for better or worse. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But fortunately, either, you know, you were able to get a hand down or a shoulder first. Yeah, I'm talking about like just directly dropping on your head. That's why equestrian accidents are so scary. I mean, you're sitting on top of a, you know, you're sitting at least two meters high. And, you know, you're hanging on to the, to the reins and you fall over, you're still holding on to the reins, hoping that that's going to slow you down and these people land straight on their head. So that's a very common, not an uncommon uh, accident in equestrian falls. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, they are so much taller than a bike. So help me understand how much of a force reduction does the helmet provide? So let's just use a nice easy number like 100, right? Mm. Let's say I, I wreck, I hit, and it, let's just use a, a direct impact to keep this super simple, right? Like no rotation, just straight up direct impact, 100 Gs. So it's 100 Gs at the outside of the helmet. By the time that force reaches my skull and then maybe my brain, like how much does one of your average helmets reduce that force by the time it gets to me personally? Again, that 
depends on the density of the phone, but clearly easily in half. Wow. And more. Yeah. I mean, it, it really does dissipate the energy well. If the foam is too hard, though, you're not going to take as much. The percentage gets worse. So the foam, I mean, it sounds like really is like by and large the critical component here. So when you have this hard candy shell on them that is in molded now, like is the benefit of that mainly just aesthetics and to kind of, you know, like what's the, is there a functional benefit to that? Yeah, a couple of things. For sure, it helps spread the load a little bit. So you want to spread it over more areas so you can get more of that foam in there. And then it spreads. That's what a harder shell actually spreads really well. But you got to break through that hard shell before the foam starts to, to dissipate the energy. Also, if you think about it, I think it was Belgiro that did the first in-molding, what, 30 years ago or so? And just look at the change in what helmets look like once they started in-molding. Right before you had this big, thick, hard outer shell with very little vents, very heavy. And then once you started adding the in-molding, it became part of the structure, kind of an exoskeleton. So now you could actually make bigger vents and you could get better airflow, more comfortable, more comfort. So yeah, that outer shell is kind of an exoskeleton, helps spread the load on an impact, plus it helps keep all that foam together. So what about an endoskeleton, or I guess that's what you would call it? Like, you know, when I think you guys have a helmet that has some kind of like a plastic framing inside that, again, so if you smash the helmet super hard, it's not going to break apart into a million pieces. Like, does is that just to keep it together? Yeah, we call it an internal roll cage. And we don't put it in every helmet, but sometimes you can go in and you can split a helmet open by, you know, driving it into, this is kind of a testing thing. You, you drive it into this, you have a long, thin vent, and you drive what we call a curbstone anvil. So it's 90 degrees, just like a, a curb at the side of your house. And if you hit perfectly in the, that long vent, it could come in and split that helmet apart before it actually stops all the energy. So if you can keep it all together, we do that. Sometimes we use what we call super vents, which is a, a skeletal structure around the outside of the, of the vent. Because vents make you drive up density. The more holes you have and the less EPS you have, the more you drive up density. If we can, if we can support that structure in a way, we can have that load spread by, in our case, what we call a super vent. It'll spread it over so it spreads to more of the foam and we can keep driving that foam density down. Cool. So it's just, it's a structural thing. Yeah. All right. So moving in where we went, exoskeleton, internal roll cage. Now on the inside of yours, I mean, a lot of people just use like a foam pad, which is, I think, most of them are probably just for comfort, if we're being honest, because they're just yeah. they're way yeah. too soft to do anything. But you guys use and a few other brands do too, some sort of like, I don't know, I'd call it a polymer, like a gel like substance that is another layer of low density or squishy stuff. What's the idea behind that? A couple of things. As we said, EPS has to be a certain hardness to take on those big hits. Even when we do two layers like the cone head, it, it's still not as soft as I'd like it. Like the soft layer inside of the cone head, I mean, it still doesn't start crushing until 40, 50 Gs, where we use different materials. One is called Rion. Uh, that's an invention out of London. Dr. Plant came up with that. It's similar to D3O. You probably would hate it if I said that. <laughs> um, but it has some of those same properties where it hardens on impact. So that stuff's so much softer that it starts at next to zero Gs. It just starts immediately taking care of those super smaller hit and starts dissipating the energy before you even get to the EPS. So there's another layer of softness before you get to that EPS that starts to crush. 
for those lower, smaller hits. And it helps with the, the hits as they go up. The other thing it does is it actually folds over. And that starts to help with those rotational forces that MIPS has been so famous to talk about. So every impact has some level of linear and some level of rotational force in it, depending on how you crash. Like a football lineman, they're often having a lot of rotational forces because they're sliding those helmets right by each other and the, the, the brain is spinning every time they hit. In a bicycle accident, it's how straight on did you hit versus how much of a glancing blow that determines how much of each force is applied to your brain. Right. So I know that like, like you said, when you crush the foam, as it crushes, it gets harder, which, you know, it's just kind of like easy physics to understand. Right. But with like a D3O material or the stuff you're using, it seems counterintuitive to me that you would want that to harden because like, I know like there's D3O knee pads, right? Like if you, when you tap that with a hammer, you drop something on it, like it hardens instantly. And it really does an incredible job of muting that force before it gets to your knee or your elbow or whatever. But Right. That seems like it would almost create like this really hard element inside your head that would hurt. <laughs> yes, if it turned as fast as you're thinking, it, there is still a moment that this happens. I mean, this whole stuff happens in milliseconds, right? Right. The, the impact happens. I mean, our testing, the uh, results are all measured in milliseconds. So it's all happening so fast. But the other part of that is geometry, right? So if you look at the geometry in our Rion material, it's actually kind of goes up in a post and then mushrooms out. So it's going to fold over too. So as it hardens in the one section, it's folding over. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't act hard enough to become super hard, but it is wicked when you watch these guys put this stuff over their hand and take a hammer and smash this thing over and wait, how's that work? Then you push it with your finger and your finger just goes right in there. Yeah. It it really is like a magic type of material all that stuff and it's incredible i'm not a chemist so that's out of (laughs) i have to work with those guys to help me on that stuff just i just chalk it up to magic yep (laughs) you mentioned that you guys use it because it folds over that handles some of the rotational forces so let's use that as a nice segue to mips and stuff like that how do you feel about all that look mips came out man they came and uh, showed me their stuff back when I was at Specialized, which was around 2000. So it's been around for a while. The idea, of course, being that we want to mitigate those rotational forces, which we do. You know, their approach is to, you know, put this sliding plastic thing inside and that, you know, makes the helmet rotate, but not forces your head to rotate. I've tested this. It works. It does reduce rotational forces. And without what Peter Holden did with that and taught us all about that we wouldn't even be talking about i wouldn't necessarily be talking about rion the difference why i go away from mips is i still believe all helmets are too hard goes back to that first part in the very beginning and what mips does is put a hard layer and protects that foam on the inside from crushing immediately so in in my tests when you put in uh, that hard layer in there i know it's really thin and you're gonna say it's not that hard but it still slows down the crush of the foam and so linear g's increase a little bit. In my test, that's about 12%. And that kind of goes away from, you know, my philosophy that helmets are all too hard. We need to put softer stuff next to our heads and find other ways to mitigate those rotational forces. I mean, other guys have done it, right? Obviously, Pop came out with their spin system after MIPS. We spent a lot of time last year on testing different systems. Actually, Don Morgan came out with a system called PIDS, and it's kind of a pyramid kind of structure, actually two pyramids facing each other. It's an elastomer. And so we put that in the helmets. We put 
different types of low density layers. We have another material we call waffle tech, which is just a EVA material that does quite well in testing, much more simple, a lot less expensive. So we put about five, six different materials and compared them to each other and which one did better. And what we found was that all of them help rotation some, some a little better than others. And then only a few of them helped with the low G that I'm talking about. But what was really exciting about this, and again, just harping on it, was we slipped in a helmet from Europe. And because of the way they test and they eliminate that really high point loading, their foam density was around 75 grams per cubic liter versus the other helmets we test was closer to 90, 95, and sometimes even 100. Just lowering the density of the foam helps with those rotational forces too. So on the impact, because it's softer, it actually gives not just linearly, but laterally as well. So that's why I harping on our, our helmets are too hard. If we could just get them softer, find ways to get that density lower, we're going to create safer helmets. Right on. Okay, so last question, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. The testing standard, it sounds like, based on what you said, that the our testing standards standard is just completely outdated. Like, is there any movement to bring that up to date and maybe reduce that 300 level number? I haven't seen that. Um, I have attended some of the ASTM meetings, which is the, the meetings where they drive the test standards that CPSC follows. Uh, I have seen them fo- wanting to focus on some of the rotational forces, which is good, but seems to be leaning towards some of that MIPS data versus, you know, some of that low G stuff. There are people that, I'm not the only person talking about low G. There are people out there just not hearing the standards people talk about it and how to address that. <laughs> like I said, I, I look sometimes to the Europe standard and go, hmm, we should think about that a little more because of the way that, that they're testing. But there are still people that believe having a harder helmet takes care of those big hits, and that's the number one thing. I mean, frankly, that's, that's Snell's philosophy. Snell says, we want to take care of the worst of the worst crashes. And I'm saying, yeah, we want to take care of those, but we also want to take care of all of them. All right. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, yeah, hope to see you soon. Awesome. Get out there and ride. Yep. Hey, thanks for listening to part one of our series on bicycle helmet designs. If you haven't already, hit subscribe to the Bike Rumor podcast on your favorite player so you don't miss the next installments. And check out the catalog of interviews we've already published. There's a ton of great stuff in there that's a bit of the break from our normal tech-heavy, product-focused coverage on the website. And if you like this, could you tap that button on your app to give us a quick five-star rating and a quick review? That is the currency of podcasts, and it really helps us reach more people and grow this thing more and more to get great guests for you. Thanks, and until next time, keep the rubber side down.